Hey, we're back. Uh, this and every Saturday at this time, we come to you with Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer, and I serve as a professor, dean at Wheaton College. I've actually been living, if you're listening to the show, I've been living in England for the last few months, uh, teaching at Oxford University there at Wycliffe Hall. But I'm actually back, back for Thanksgiving, and then tomorrow, tomorrow head back, head back to England to finish up a class. So excited to be the last week of class there. N.T. Wright and Amy Orr Ewing and I will be co-teaching uh, our class for the final week and then back for the year. So uh, it's been a uh, thanks for your patience as we broadcasted several times from from the UK. I don't know if it's any different. I, I think Courtney tells me it sounds pretty much the same, but uh, she's the engineer who runs the place and and keeps us technologically sound. But but so have had a great have had a great time there and I've had some great conversations from there and we're continuing our conversations today. Uh, and, and really, we try to bring conversations that kind of get to, I don't know, sometimes issues of the day, sometimes uh, how to engage well in the day. Matter of fact, let me tell you what, as I'm looking to the end of the year, what we're thinking. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, obviously, about Christmas. You know, that's you may have heard that that's a thing that comes the end of the year. And so, um, so we're going to have a Christmas guest. Uh, Tim Larson will be our Christmas guest. He's written the, uh, well, kind of an Oxford handbook of Christmas. So he'll be with me, uh, and you'll hear him right at Christmas. Uh, but also, too, and this is where I want to kind of alert you for those of you who are weekly listeners, which I hope is all of you, um, but we're actually going to be talking a lot about the Bible. And why are you talking a lot about the Bible? Because we're, we recognize that, um, we'll talk about the Bible, always a good thing. That's if you're listening on a lot of these stations. Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Rydelnik comes on before, and that's what he does for two hours, talk about the Bible. I listen in and I, I, I gain and glean wisdom from him. But we're talking about the Bible, and one of the reasons is I really want to encourage you to join me and but millions and millions of other people in reading the Bible daily if you aren't, or reading the Bible through if you haven't, starting in January uh, 23. So we're actually going to have uh, Trillia Newbell's got a new book on reading the Bible through. And so anyway, that's all coming up, and we're excited about it. But as I mentioned, we try to kind of address issues of the day. So one of the issues of today is that uh, people are really unhappy with one another. It's just uh, conversations getting more more difficult. We also thought this would be a good time to have on our guest uh, after Thanksgiving, which hopefully uh, you were a normal member of a family and didn't spend all your time arguing about Bitcoin or about whatever. But for some people, uh, it's hard to get through a Thanksgiving dinner without conflict. The looking into the rest of the holidays, um, you know, and you want to have uh, positive relationships. That's that's really that's really important. And so the question is, how do I make these meaningful connections with other people? Well, here's the great thing: we actually have experts in this field, and one of them is here with me today. Today, her name is Dr. Heather Holloman. She's an associate teaching professor at Penn State, Penn State there in State College, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, an amazing place, having lived there for a while. But she's a speaker and author. She's actually written eight books, and we're going to primarily talk about one today. Uh, it's called The Six Conversations, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility, which kind of gets a little bit at what I was just talking about a moment ago is, is instability. Uh, so incivility, I can't say the word three times, incivility. And so we're going to talk about that as well. Um, and Heather also serves with Faculty Commons in the uh, Professor and Graduate Student Ministry of CREW, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade. 
She blogs daily, and you can find her the link to her blog. I'm going to tell you what it is, but all these links in the books are always included at edstetzerlive.com. That's edstetzerlive.com. But she blogs daily at Heather Holloman, with an E in the middle, H-O-L-L-E-M-A-N.com. And just podcast, her podcast. Oh, she blogs daily, too, which is, if you're going to blog, blogging daily, it's a tough one. But her podcast is The Verb with Heather Holloman. So we're excited to have you on the program from State College, Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining us, Heather. Well, thank you for having me. This is going to be a pleasure. I'm really excited about our conversation. Well, super, super. And and again, you're from the amazing Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which we're always happy to have you on. So here we are in a um, you know time when and social media is a bit of a train wreck. Uh, the uh, the political discourse is just on fire, um, and and it's it's impacting families and relationships. Now, of course, you know, your book's not primarily about that. It's about these ways of having better uh, conversations. So, but why did you write a book on having better conversation? What prompted you in that direction? Well, three things prompted me to write this book. The first was I'm just teaching on a college campus and aware of what researchers are calling the epidemic of loneliness on the college campus and in Generation Z. So I'm deeply passionate about helping students belong but they feel lonely. They don't have meaningful connections with one another. And I really needed to answer the question, how do people form meaningful connections? The second reason was I'm fascinated by the Harvard Grant study, which is the longest research study ever conducted, trying to answer the question, what is the single most determining factor of a happy life? And I showed my students that the answer is warm connections is the most important prologue to happiness. And my students would say, how do we get those? How do we get those warm connections? So I started to realize we're really missing the art of conversation. We don't understand, you know, how to have a conversation, the theology of a good conversation. And the final thing is my husband and I are passionate about evangelism and helping churches create cultures of evangelism. And we wrote a book called Scent. And what we found in all of our training is that people love to talk about their faith. The problem is they wanted us to go back to remind them, how do we start a conversation in general? Remind us again, what, you know, what questions do we ask? How do we even begin? And so those three things really motivated me to examine not only the Bible, but all the social science research that's available to us about how we connect well with others. Yeah, fascinating. And of course, that study is, as a, as a researcher and a nerd, that study is amazing, covers all kinds of things. It's so far a 75-year longitudinal yes. study and, and just, just fascinating. And, and we, you know, we, we could spend an hour just nerding out talking about that study. But the idea, were well, you going to add something? Go ahead. No, I was just laughing. I love this interview already. I love so oh. much about this interview. I would let's nerd out about research. I love that. This yeah. is, I, I'm so happy yeah, the, right now, Ed. Right. The problem is we have to be careful because soon people will be throwing things at their radio if we if we just talk about some of the studies. Because right. I mean, we have I would engage a study in around issues of alcoholism in some writing that yes. I've done as well, and it's just. Anytime you oh seventy five year longitudinal study is is yes. uh, is heaven heaven and every time they release a new update. For those of you who don't know research, longitudinal studies are our friends and they are good to us. But anyway, um, that's another story for another day. And I want to talk about your amazing book, not just that, but it is drawing from some of those topics. So that's super helpful um, as well. Okay, so so you write this book on having better conversations, and you talk about four mindsets 
of loving conversation. And I think it's probably important for us to walk through some of those those mindsets. And I would ask our listeners to kind of ask the question, well, how does that relate to how I'm having those conversations? So share with the, share those with us, Heather. Well, that's right. And that's a great question because when I share the four mindsets, people should ask themselves, where am I most deficient in one of these four categories? So as I explored the social science research, I discovered that in order to have a warm connection with someone, four mindsets need to operate. You need to be curious. That's the art of interpersonal curiosity, being curious about other people. The second mindset is believing the best. Now, right now we're in a culture of judgment, suspicion. It's really rare that you see people treating one another with what's called unconditional positive regard. The third mindset is how to express concern, how to show investment in people's lives. And the last one is sharing your own life. A lot of people are not self-aware enough or vulnerable enough to know how to share their life in a way that will form a meaningful connection. So as I read um, the social science research, what actually most excited me, Ed, was that I was really seeing these mindsets already explored in you know famous passages like Philippians 2, Romans 12. I was finding evidence of how Paul is instructing us you know, when we're in conflict. So think of the Jews and Gentiles in conflict. If you read Philippians and, you know, Ephesians and Romans through the lens of conflict, you'll see a lot of these four mindsets operating. And I got really excited to teach my students and to change how I acted with my husband and children and my community when I had this posture of curiosity, believing the best, expressing concern and sharing my life. Yeah, I love the posture of curiosity. And, and partly because I love, like even coming into this interview, I'm like, I want to ask Heather 10 questions. And so that's part of what I want to hear from you, where sometimes in conversations, people are sort of waiting to say, I want to tell you something else. And so one of the advantages of being a radio host is that the first thing they tell me is that people want to hear from the guest. And so and so I think everyone should like be a radio host for a little while. But anyway, um, so, so let me give you everyone the phone number here because I want to give you the opportunity to call in. We're going to have conversations about how, how to kind of think through some of these engaging in conversations, engaging in conversations well. Some of you will probably want to ask about what that means, you know, in your family, what that means with neighbors. We could take this a lot of different directions. We also are going to give away five copies uh, of the book to brilliant, insightful callers. It's not just call in and get the book, but we're going to give away some copies of The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Civility. Here's the number, 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetz are live. And because I've always wanted to, I don't like watch sports, but I've always wanted to say something about sports on my radio program. The USA team is out 
of the World Cup. The game has been lost. Netherlands has won 3-1. to one. Just happened moments ago, and now I am a sports broadcaster. One day I'll spin a record and say I'm a disc jockey. But anyway, sorry, Heather, sorry for that. This has just been a moment I have waited for for a long time just to be able to I'm proud sports. of you. This must Thank feel you. good. <laughs> it does, it does. And, you're, you know, of course, you know, Americans, I've been living in the U.K., and they are crazy about uh, the World Cup. And so That's just right. a different level. But I did watch the USA-England where they got 0-0. But then Netherlands just just whipped us. So but that's that's another story for another day. Want to lose, don't want to lose our listeners in turning this into sports talk radio. Um, again, we're talking uh, here about conversations, about communication, about relationships. Our guest is Heather Holloman. Her new book is called The Six Pathways, excuse me, The Six Conversations, Pathways to connecting in an age of isolation and instability. And incivility, I struggle saying that word, don't know why. Um, so so what's great, Heather, we already have some phone calls that have some questions about the research methodology. So, um, so that's exciting for you and me. Let's go live to Penny in Alabama. Penny, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. The Harvard study found the importance of warm connections. How did they define warm connections? Penny gets right to it, too. If you'll hold on, Penny, we're going to give you a copy uh, of the book. But yeah, talk to us. I mean, you got to go back to the study, Warm Connections. Explain that a little more. Well, what they're looking at in sort of like the Yale Relationships Labs or different research that I read, they're usually survey-based. They're people being able to say, you know, I felt a warm connection, or it's what they call closeness-enhancing behaviors, people just reporting on their experience of feeling warmly connected. But there's also brain, people looking at the brain and what happens like when you ask a really good question, how it's uniquely pleasurable for people. I love that. I, I if, I, if I didn't get a PhD in English literature, I would have loved to go back and get a PhD in neuroscience because I love what happens to the brain and how they can measure whether or not people are experiencing enjoyment and, you know, how they're experiencing, um, like what's happening in the brain when they're with someone. So some of it's survey-based, some of it's just, you know, that means people are just reflecting on their experience and how, um, you know, when they put them in relationship situations and they're reporting back. For example, one of the problems that people often say, you know, I don't want to ask someone a question. They're going to think I'm awkward. They're going to think, you know, nobody's going to like me if I take this risk. What they'll do is they'll put strangers together in a room and have them ask what may be considered awkward or too personal situations. But what happens is the, the participants will report back that not only did, did they not feel badly, that the awkward encounters actually made them feel delighted and closer to one another, even if it started out awkward. So it's self-reported. It's also looking at brain scans. And I wrote the book mostly for people who don't want to wade through social science and read all of the research reports. So when you read the writing, you'll see a lot of footnotes that will lead you to the social science research, but it's really an easy book to read for people who kind of just want to know, okay, what do I need to know without having to go back to Google Scholar and find all this research myself? Who wouldn't want to go to Google Scholar and find all this research for themselves? I don't understand that audience. But nevertheless, there are probably people out there who would much rather enjoy the application of it. I'm kidding, of course, and this is it's good that you've done that. And that's the book. The book is accessible and practical. Again, it's The Six Conversations, Heather Holloman. And it's interesting, too. We've got lots of calls on the line. And I want to – Elizabeth, Janice, I'm going to get to you two next and and also to Lorene. And so we're going to get to those in just, just a minute. But I want to address one of the things in the book you talk about, a theology of a loving conversation. So you're a professor and a scholar – also a Christian who's helping us to think biblically. So does the Bible 
really teach us about what it means to have a good conversation? What does that look like? Well, that's what I got so excited about because as I'm thinking about this culture of incivility and also just the profound loneliness that people feel. I was reading the Cigna Health study. I don't know if you read this. It was 2018 before COVID. So imagine how bad it is now. A survey of 20,000 U.S. adults saying, you know, nearly half the population in the U.S. is saying they always feel alone. Mm. You know, they're not having meaningful conversations. They don't have personal social interactions. So I thought, okay, this is this is not good. You know, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of unity. There's got to be this something that we're missing in the Bible. So as I looked at the four mindsets, you know, be curious, believe the best, express your concern and share your life. I, I kept saying, okay, where did I hear this before? And I was so delighted by Philippians 2. Because Paul says, if you read Philippians 2, first of all, it's deeply convicting. It's perfect discipleship material for someone who was immature in this area as myself. I've, I've, I've really been rehabilitated in my ability to talk with people. So Philippians 2 talks about valuing others above yourself. That's like unconditional positive regard. It talks about taking an interest in other people. How, how do you take on the interest of other people if you don't ask questions about their lives? So I'm thinking interpersonal curiosity. I'm thinking investment. I'm thinking about taking on the nature of a servant, sharing your life. So I love Philippians 2. And then I moved on to Romans 12 because I was thinking about what it means to live a life of love in this culture of incivility. And that that chapter really made me think about my colleagues at Penn State because Paul says, you know, outdo one another in showing honor, you know, bless those who persecute you. Some other passages that deeply resonated with um, my, the social science kind of aspect was this idea of Galatians 6 and carrying one another's burdens. I don't think we do that well in the culture. I think we see conversation as argument. We don't see conversation as an opportunity to enact what I learned are the three fresh goals of conversation, which are deeply theological, that in any conversation, you want to encourage, you want to help people with their personal goals, and you want to lead them to a state of marveling. I mean, this is really a game changer. This is like an intervention, Ed, in how we're talking to each other. So the Bible talks about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. It talks about speaking in a way that it only encourages others according to their needs. And I, I am fascinated by this idea of marvel. And when you're in a state of awe, it, you're, you're less alone, you feel connected to people. And that was a research study that was an intervention in depression and loneliness with actually senior citizens, the older population. They put them in pairs and sent them on a walk with the express purpose of experiencing awe in nature. And when they talked about these things that, that that was leading them to a state of marvel, they really felt connected and less depressed. And I got really excited about this idea of awe. And that would come out of maybe Colossians or other passages that talk about making music in your heart to the Lord, you know, singing songs to one another, um, speaking to one another in spiritual, you know, spiritual language. I love that. Yeah. And Actually, I, I, that would be, yeah, that might be ahead. Ephesians 6. Um where you sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I love mm -hmm. that. That would be bringing people to a state of worship. Love it. I love it. And fascinating conversation, too. And the books, by the way, is published by uh, Moody Publishers, our partners and friends here as well. Um, I've got, we got so many calls, which is interesting to me, and I'm going to comment on that after we take a few of them. So let's go to uh, Elizabeth 
in Chicago. Elizabeth, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Yeah, hi. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. This topic is so incredibly pertinent. I just finished a two years master's in transformational leadership and coaching. And oh, wow. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm, so I've read a lot of these social studies, and it's been super fun and enlightening. But having grown up in a very judgmental and a very critical environment, I'm really struggling with, um, and, and also being one, like someone that likes to rescue other people and find value in rescuing, I'm having a really difficult time sticking with this curiosity, um, curiosity mindset. Can you, can you speak to that? Can you help me? Mm, yes. Do you, in, do you mean, part? yeah. Do you mean, just to clarify your question about continuing to be curious about people because you're afraid they'll overwhelm you with their problems? Or, or is it more? It. Okay. Well, what I love about curiosity, first of all, this is something so deficient as a professional development skill that if you can teach young people the art of curiosity, I feel like it's the number one skill we can teach people. And so interpersonal curiosity means you're priming yourself to be curious about other people. And I learned that in order to cultivate this, you have to look at someone else as infinitely precious, that they're made in the image of God. They offer a one-of-a-kind viewpoint on the universe because of who they are. Nobody has lived the life that they've lived. And so when you're with them, I like to think of it as this sacred space where I can ask them a question and their answer could catalyze something in me. It could help me grow. It could show me something about the Lord. And then I learn about them. And really what, what I was trying to do with this six conversational pathways is really give people six categories of how they can be curious about other people. And how you're curious about other people relates to the six dimensions of what it means to be human. So social, physical, cognitive, emotional, you know, spiritual, volitional. And I love thinking of categories and cultivating really amazing and meaningful questions in every category of what it means to be human. You can do this with a five-year-old. You can do this with a 95-year-old. And it, it, will, it will really transform every relationship you have just to think even as simple as the social category, like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I'd love to know who you've been spending time with. Tell me about your best friend. Or even, you know, we do the emotional category a lot, like how are you doing? By the way, the weak verb is terrible. It's an existential state of being. Nobody likes weak verbs. I don't use that anymore. Instead of saying, how are you? I'll say, oh, it's so good to see you. Has anything surprised you about your day? Or has anything challenged you? The physical category, we forget. People like to talk about their bodies, their physical spaces, you know, experiences related to the five senses, and on and on. So does that help? I would, I mean, if you have questions about any of those categories, I can answer. But cultivating interpersonal curiosity will change the whole landscape of how you have meaningful conversations. And it is a closeness-enhancing behavior to ask questions um, and be someone that's always going to ask these questions rooted in curiosity. Elizabeth, I pulled your mic back up. Any, anything you want to add or follow up? Um, I think that was fantastic. I love the different categories that you mentioned. Do you ha are those all listed in your book too? Yes, and and they're easy to remember as you look at someone. Think about all the dimensions of 
their humanity. The two most overlooked ones are the volitional category. And volition is human will, human agency. It's decision making. People like to talk about whether or not they've recently made an important decision or if they have an upcoming decision. So sometimes I'll see a friend and I'll be like, I haven't seen you for a while. How's work going? Do you have any big projects? Are you in the midst of any big decision? People feel so loved. I have more friends than I know what to do with at work because I ask things like this. You know, people want to engage. And then um, the second category, like I mentioned, is physical. People love it when you ask about their your body and nobody does. So the other day I just asked my students, you know, okay, we're going to do a physical question. How have you guys been sleeping? Oh my word. I learned more about melatonin, lavender, ASMR. They went on and on. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you, you're you mm -hmm. never going to get lost again. So not only will you know how to start a conversation, but the six pathways means you have endless permutations of what, of where to go next in any category. You're going to love it. It's all in the book. It's very easy. I do it with my teenagers. I've even done it with third graders and they get really excited about how they're going to talk to their friends at the lunch table. Super. Thanks for your call, Elizabeth. That was super helpful, too. We want to give you a copy of the book so you don't have to just say you'd like to learn about it, but it's called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. So I'm trying to think. I've got the the, the signal that we've got to come to the bottom of the hour here, but I want to I want to notice that I'm looking across here. I got I had, a minute ago, I had nine, eight people online uh, wanting to have a conversation, ask questions or comment, and all of them are women. And I, I want you to Help me to think through this a little bit as well, because I, I think as long as I've been hosting this show, I've never had a conversation where all women wanted to engage in the conversation and no men did. And I immediately makes me think, um, and I want you to take, take about 30 seconds to, to start the conversation. You hear the music, but just tell me, is there going to be a difference between how men and women react in these things? I'm, I'm, you want me to answer now? You go or for it. Yep, 15 seconds. I, I, 15 do, seconds. I do think um, research has shown that men are profoundly more lonely. So it is true. It is true okay, that gonna, men, yep. We'll talk We're going to talk about that. Yep, we're going to and take your calls. Eight, the, our number is 877-548-3675. We're back at Stetzer Live. Heather Holliman's my guest. Her new book is The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. I could finally get incivility properly pronounced. Um, so, and just for the break, I, I unfairly gave you just seconds at the end there. So, so I want you to come back to this. And I, it's, again, it's just it's just unusual me as a as a host to have um, you know this many people on the line wanting to have conversations about having conversations, and it just being all women um, and no men in that conversation. I think years ago, I think it was Deborah Tannen wrote a book that became a New York Times bestseller, uh, Men and Women in Conversation. I think it was You Don't Understand Men and Women in Conversation, something like that. So I know that, and in there, there was a discussion of how men and women communicate differently. But even having conversations about conversations, tell, tell us a little bit about how men and women uh, might, the research might point us to how men and women engage differently in our culture. Well, something I read recently was that um, men surveyed were less likely to admit their feelings of loneliness and disconnection when in fact they were experiencing profound loneliness and it would manifest in certain ways like... Um, 
you know, in our home state of Pennsylvania, they're calling it diseases of despair. So alcoholism, mm. suicidal ideation, you know, drug addiction, they're linking these to a lack of meaningful social support. And it reminded me, you know, when, when men become really lonely, they're seeing kind of these more high risk diseases of despair. I do think that um, there's sort of a revival of the need for deep conversation among men and male friendships, which I get excited about that research. But maybe the number of women calling could be that because I'm a woman, maybe they feel con warmly connected to fair me. Fair enough, fair enough. And um, so I don't know. I haven't done a lot of work on the gender aspect of it, but I will tell you this. Last week, one of my male students said, uh, Dr. H, you just have no idea how lonely it is to be a college student. And I look at my my male students in particular, and it's, you know, it's just as hard. And there's a lot of different expectations sometimes on men and women, at least, you know, what I'm, you know, and I'm not an expert in this area, but I could imagine that men are less likely to admit their feelings of loneliness or they don't have the vocabulary to express it maybe because of how they were raised or because of what the community expectations are because um, you you hear about toxic masculinity and things like that but i'm not an expert but my best guess is that men are experiencing loneliness just as women are they're just not expressing it probably as much yeah it certainly does make sense let's go to lorene i'm hoping i pronounced it correctly in pennsylvania lorene you're live on the air go ahead Hi, thank you so much. Um, Dr. Holloman, I heard you speak at the Renew Women's Conference in Akron a couple months ago, so I'm so glad to talk to you today. Yay, I'm so glad. Um, I wish we would have connected there. I would have loved to have met you. I, I have a home-based business, and I've been at it for a, a long time, and I'm in the health and wellness industry. I have no problem asking a complete stranger how is your colon? How are you sleeping? What is your weight? Like personal questions, right? But when it comes to my personal life, I I have no girlfriends. I am single. Like I'm very, very isolated and I have had trauma. I've had I battled depression and like I don't understand like I'm successful in my person in my professional career with my business but yet personally i'm not doing so great like what in the world oh lorraine that breaks my heart i've been in the same situation just someone that's had a history of depression i relate to those feelings of of just isolation one thing is if you're sort of a professional question asker i can imagine that you may feel drained at the end of your work day and so even if you're around colleagues and or people in your i don't know if you live in a neighborhood or if you're in an apartment it may feel like a lot of work to, to make the effort to engage in relationships might be one thing but if you're someone that's like what's wrong with me what am i doing the next best step i like to think about okay who do i want to connect with are there places where I can find people to form a warm connection with. And then I take that first step of asking a really good question. So uh, uh, last year at work, when I was doing this research there, I, I was feeling lonely at work and there was a woman I wanted to get to know. So I stopped by her office and I said, um, I would really like, you know, I just said, I'd really like to get to know you. Tell me what you're working on. What, what is, what projects are you working on? And what happened was, is she began to talk about her work. And because of my research in the book, I learned how to be a good listener and what I was listening for, which is her core values. 
and she was talking about not being able to turn in work that she thought was her best work. She kept going on and on about projects that she didn't feel like she could do her best. And I said to her, it really sounds like you value excellence as you're talking. I can hear that you value excellence. And she looked at me and she said, I do. I really do. And we just went on and on, you know, with these warm connections. And by the end, she said, this has been the best part of my week. Can you come back to my office next week? Okay, Lorraine, now we have lunch every Wednesday. And she, it, it's been a year. And now I have this rich, wonderful friendship that just began with that warm connection. So do you think the problem is time? Or do you think it's that you're burnt out at work? Or do you think you literally just don't have spaces where there are people that you can form a warm connection with? Um, I feel like it's maybe a little bit, some of all of those, but also like the, um, the, the people that I've been in, had relationships with, whether it's girlfriends or dating men and the trauma and the drama and the, the, the all that that's gone along with, with that. So I feel like I've put up a wall that I don't, I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to let anyone get close to me. But then on the other hand, I'm miserable because I don't have <laughs> anyone to go to the ballet with me next weekend to go to see the Nutcracker, which I love to go see the Nutcracker. Oh, I wish I could see the Nutcracker with you. Well, I'll be honest, Lorraine. Three years ago, I was so lonely that I actually invited couples over for dinner and I made soup. I called it my soup and story night because they said, well, what do we bring? And I said, just a story, bring a story about your day. And when they sat down, Lorraine, I said, look, I am lonely. I do not feel connected to anyone. It has been too long. I said, look, can you guys come to my house for soup on Monday nights? Cause I am lonely. I just told them that. And it was really funny. They said, well, why don't we go around and share about our day. And one woman said, what if we all either shared a breakthrough, a breakdown or a breakup? And we just laughed. But Lorraine, I, I literally was like, I'm desperate. Now, in your situation, especially if you're in like a therapeutic setting, I love having a therapist. I love having a space where I can talk through trauma. And then I'm free in my friendships to not always have to have therapeutic conversations in friendships because that is, is scary and you don't have to share all of that stuff in your friendships. You can kind of start fresh and keep it light and form just a warm, joyful connection based on fun things that you like to talk about. And when you do that and kind of take those risks, you'll find that you'll feel warmly connected. You'll feel like you have good boundaries with people. And, you know, God is so kind and gracious to know, like, you're not meant to be alone. I often pray, God, open my eyes, send me a friend. You know, if you read my journals, Lorraine, half of them are like, please send me good friends. And ever since I wrote the six conversations, I mean, I feel like I have more friends than I know what to do with because people are just so hungry for meaningful connections. So I really, I hope and pray that you find someone to go to the Nutcracker with you. Is there anyone in mind that you're thinking, I'm just going to take that risk. I'm just going to go and ask this person. No, actually, I, I don't even have that person to ask, to be honest. So kind of sad about that. Are you in church? Did you go to church in Akron? Like when I saw you at Renew, are you a churchgoer? Yes, yes. I go to a wonderful church, and but I just don't have that close. 
And I think a lot of it is COVID related, you know, like we yes. were out for so long. And then, then I, when, when church finally came back and I was um, working at my other career every Sunday, so I wasn't able to go to church and it's just, I, like I said, I think it's a lot of things. It's time, you know, like I, it's I, time. I, yes. I'm not involved in church like I used to be, you know, like I used to be very involved and then I, I changed careers and whatever, but, um, so I, it's just, it's, it's a couple of things that are factors in, in this isolation. Some of them aren't my fault, I don't think. Right, and right. some of them are probably my fault. So Well, you're um, not alone. You're not alone. Half the population post-COVID. So think of half the U.S. population, according to that Cigna Health study, is reporting they don't have any social interactions during the week or meaningful social interactions. I love that you have church. I mean, one thing is to start there. Start this Sunday. Start tomorrow and just find someone, ask a good question about their week and take the risk of saying, I'm someone who loves to go to coffee. I, I love to have breakfast in the morning. If you work full time, sometimes it's hard, but making, you know, inviting someone out, inviting them to have a conversation and also being honest, saying, look, I'm really trying to develop meaningful connections with people. And I really love getting to know you. You know, it's okay to be honest about where you are. I've had to do that a lot in my life. So I do wish you the best. I really do pray that God sends that person to go to the Nutcracker with you. You're going to have to email me and tell me if that happens, because I would love to stay connected. Yeah, Lorene, we're going to go ahead and get a uh, get you a copy uh, of the book, and we'll do that as well. And get your email address so you guys can connect as well. So the, our guest, guest is Dr. Heather Holloman. We're talking about her book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. We actually got plenty of calls on hold, so we won't take any more, but we'll jump into those calls in just a moment and continue our conversation with Heather Holloman. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. We're talking to Heather Holloman and having a great conversation. And uh, Heather is an associate teaching professor at Penn State University uh, there in Pennsylvania. She's a speaker and author, written eight books, including the one we're talking about today. It's called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. As you can tell, it's kind of struck a chord with our audience. And Heather, you have learned just the amazing callers that we have here on Ed Stetzer Live. So lots of great conversations uh, with folks as well. And one of them, you sort of referenced earlier about um, about faith sharing and engaging some of those conversations. Well, Janice yes. in Co Coconut Creek, Florida, Janice has a question about that. Go ahead, Janice, you're live on the air. Number one, Ed and Heather, I wish you were coming to dinner tonight at my house. Oh, I would love to. I would love it's to. It's a lot warmer I, there. It's a lot warmer in Coconut Creek, Florida, I assure you. Well, I would love you to be here, and your, your program's amazing. The research you're doing is absolutely amazing. And I say, yes, go get that doctorate because you have other books to write. I know. <laughs> um, oh, I love it. You're I, an encourager. I love this. Oh, I really would love you to do that. Um Anyway, I get so excited, and when I meet people out in the world, I really want to talk about the Lord. Um, what recommendations could you give me? I mean, I, I don't walk up to somebody, you know, and just say, you know, hey, what do you think about Jesus? But, but I would like to go from being a friendly, encouraging person to asking more interesting questions, insightful questions that might make them think without making them feel uncomfortable. So I, I'd love you to speak to that. And while she does, I well, want to say, if you'll, if you'll hold on, we're going to give you a copy of her book as well. So go ahead and let Janice know oh, what you well. think. 
First of all, this is my favorite question to answer because by nature, I'm an evangelist. I feel like, you know, it's a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. So I love talking to people about Jesus. And the question I always get is, how do I move from these conversations I'm having to talk about the Lord? Now, what I love about what I learned is that if you're operating out of the four mindsets, so which it sounds like just hearing your voice, you're someone that is curious, you believe the best, you you naturally express concern and you share your life. What I found is among my colleagues at Penn State and in my community, that when I'm regularly doing that, when people ask me, you know, for example, in the cognitive category, if I say to someone, I would love to know, like, what have you been thinking about? Like the other night at dinner with two people who aren't Christians, I was like, okay, what thought keeps you guys up at night? Now, what's really great about questions like that in the cognitive area, if someone says, you know, what about you? you know, what have you been thinking about? It doesn't come off as a sales pitch or just, you know, that you're not in, that you're not being genuine to say, like, for example, I shared with two colleagues, okay, you know what I'm really thinking about? I've been thinking about the book of Joshua and this moment I read in scripture. And what happens is, as my colleagues, they're like, oh my gosh, wait, tell me more. So wait, you read the Bible every day? Like what, what is this? I get more opportunities to not only talk about Jesus, but often give full gospel presentations just because I'm sharing my life after I've enacted the four mindsets. So imagine you're talking about anything, maybe someone's backyard garden, and you guys are talking about gardening, and it seems like, okay, how am I ever going to make this like Jesus, is there any way this can turn into a spiritual conversation? Even something simple like gardening, you could say, you know, I love my garden. And when I'm out in my garden, I can't believe how often I I feel like I want to worship God. And if you're in an environment where the four mindsets are working, your friend, more likely than not, is going to say, okay, tell me more about that. What do you mean? And, you know, sometimes I'm really honest with my friends. I'll tell them, look, I love talking about Jesus. I said to my Hindu friend, um, does it bother you that I talk so much about Jesus? And she said, no, I actually want to hear everything you have to say about him. And because of our warm connection, you know, a few months later, this is a woman who not only prayed to receive Christ, but she led her husband and two children to the Lord. And it never felt awkward. It never felt like I was, you know, this salesman trying to get someone to follow Jesus. It just came out of our warm connection. So I hope that encourages you. You sound like someone who would naturally be able to bring in a spiritual element to your conversation. So I think to keep doing what you're doing, but not be afraid to say, okay, let's move this into the spiritual realm. I've been thinking about the spiritual side of life. You know, what about you? You'll be amazed at how much people like to talk about spiritual things. Yeah, and let me also mention too that your uh, all you've written other books, and one of them is called Scent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. Uh, I think I, that one. What that, remind me that won an award, did it not? Yes, that won Evangelism Resource of the Year, and I love that book so much. I would love to figure out a way to get you a copy because it talks about really believing that God's always at work to draw people to himself. And for whatever reason, he uses us to lead people to Jesus and that he's continually inviting us into that work. So that means every day feels like a supernatural adventure as I'm engaging in conversation because I'm thinking to myself, this is not an accident. This is a sacred space. You know, Jesus helped me know the right questions to ask and help me be someone who's going to be brave and in the power of the Holy Spirit, say to someone, 
okay, let me share with you now what I'm thinking about this. And it's something I read in the Bible or something Jesus has been talking to me about, you know, whatever it is. So I love that book and it gives you really practical spiritual questions. One of them is just, which you may love, you may say around the holidays, which I use all the time, I'll say, you know, Christmas is really important to my family. It's one of our most important holidays. I'll say, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, what does your tradition say about Jesus? That single question has led my friend to pray to receive Christ just because it troubled her when I said, what does your tradition say about Jesus? She had to go figure it out. So I love that question. And I also love questions related to prayer because people love supernatural activity. Um, I love telling my colleagues, they all know I keep a detailed prayer journal. So my atheist professor friends will be like, look, you know, I'm an atheist, but you got to put me in that prayer journal. You know, I got a grant proposal coming up, you know, things like that. They'll joke about it. But talk about prayer. Talk about supernatural things. That's really drawing people right now is this idea of the power of God. Is he powerful? Do you access him? Does he listen? Does Jesus really answer prayer? People are watching. They're curious, young people in particular. So I love those questions, prayer, and ask people about what their tradition says about Jesus. Good deal. Okay, so we've got, I'm trying, I've got several calls I can get to, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to go to Gina in just a moment in Allentown. But Gina, unfortunately, I need to encourage you to keep your question relatively brief. So go ahead, Gina. Yeah. Well, it's pretty simple. Um, it's about how to keep the conversation going mm-hmm. after someone says, how are you? Especially when you meet up with someone, maybe you're just getting to know, maybe it's like the second time you're seeing them and they'll say, oh, hi, how are you? And then I feel like I just get stuck on, I mean, I'm an introvert, so I just feel like I get stuck with what to say next after right. the, how are you? And I, I mean, everyone says that to yep. everyone's like, well, how are you? No right. one seems to say anymore. And it's, yeah, but let's, let's so, let her, let's, yes. let's let, let's let Heather jump yes. in because we're, we're, we got about a minute left. So Heather, tell us what you might say. Gina, hold on the line. Uh, we're going to give you a copy right. of the book, but Heather, go ahead. You got six options. If you say, how are you doing? And the person says, you know, I've had a really hard week. You have six options. Social. Who else have you been sharing that emotion with? Physical. Hey, when you have a hard week, is it hard on your body? Emotional. Tell me more about that feeling. What what other feelings go with that? Cognitive. How are you making sense of why you had a bad week? Volitional. What choices do you have when you have a bad week? Spiritual. You could say, you know, that's really hard. Do you have a spiritual ritual that you do when you're having a bad week? You're never going to get lost again in conversation because the six conversations give you endless permutations. You will never get stuck in a conversation again. Oh, so good. And by, by the way, this is the kind of wisdom that is in the book. So let me encourage you to get a copy, and we're going to give you a copy, Gina. And I apologize for the other folks. We didn't get to the calls. There are there a bunch more to come as well. So my apologies, a great and important topic. But you can, again, learn and engage more by reading The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And also, I mentioned the earlier book, Sent, I think, at Run the Outreach magazine, uh, Evangelism Resource of the Year. And I think I was the judge on that. So I think I, I, remember I read the book years ago. I want to encourage you to pick that up. And you can follow uh, through at edstetzerlive.com and go to there. And it links to all the books that are listed there as well. So again, let me thank my guest, Heather Holloman, for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind the scenes team at Moody Radio. I've already mentioned Courtney. Charles has been on the phones. Karen Hendren is our engineer. You hear today's program again. You'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or on the Moody Radio app. And remember, you can subscribe as a podcast to hear this kind of content regularly during the week at your time. You can also connect with us through social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. And it's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.